I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared, something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. You know the saying that a lie can be halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on? If there's one thing we've learned in the past year is that that applies just as well to scientific misinformation. Since we discovered COVID-19, there have been coronavirus hoaxes and myths and plenty of just ridiculously untrue things said about this pandemic. Another viewer just asked, will a high heat blow dryer kill coronavirus in your hair? And the other thing I heard with the blow dryer is that it could kill it if you put it um, up your nose or near your nose. But the past year has also just been filled with the unknown, or the uncertain, or the evolution of understanding that means we have to forget what we thought we knew about COVID-19 and embrace something that we've just learned. And on social media, doing that can be next to impossible. If you go and look for comprehensive truth about any aspect of this pandemic on Twitter, or on Facebook, or on Instagram, you will find some of it. But you will also find the myths and the hoaxes and the lies for profit and a whole bunch of well-intended but wrong information posted by people who, well, it's not their fault. They just aren't experts. And this is really, really complicated stuff. And that's the problem. And it's one that a group of scientists, doctors, and professors have set out to tackle, but not in the usual way. They are not publishing papers, or giving interviews, or holding lectures, or writing books. They are meeting the misinformation on its own turf. The hope is that next time you see something sketchy about a new variant, you might see something right below it, explaining why that's off base, and giving you the proper context. The real question, of course, is, can that actually work? How do you distill complex science into content that can go toe-to-toe with easy falsehoods on social. And where are we headed if it turns out that you actually can't do that? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Timothy Caulfield is the Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta, He is one of the co-founders of Science Up First. Hello, Timothy. Hello. Why don't you start? um, Explain Science Up First uh, bluntly. What is the mission statement? The mission statement is, I I think, captured in our subtitle, Together Against Misinformation. You know, we really have this goal uh, to flood social media with good, science-informed, credible content. Uh, and, it, and it really builds on, on the evidence that tells us that social media is one of the biggest drivers, not the only driver, but one of the biggest driver of, of misinformation, of the spread of misinformation. And we wanted to use this evidence-based strategy to combat 
that phenomenon. And look, it, it, it's a huge problem right now. I, I think you could make a, a compelling argument that we live in the era of misinformation, mm-hmm. particularly in the context of the pandemic uh, and, and, and the COVID vaccines. I'm going to get into exactly how uh, you might accomplish that monumental task in a minute. But first, when you say we, uh, who are you talking about? Who is this group? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked because uh, it's certainly not just me. <laughs> you know, it's in, in fact, you know, on the contrary, there is a fantastic team of, of, of researchers. You know, you know, so we're talking, you know, bench scientists, um, clinicians, uh, epidemiologists, uh, public health experts, and and of course, um, many uh, great science communicators. Um, and so we're recruiting individuals also who just have you know a presence and are, are passionate about science communicating and have ex- experience at, at it all across the country. Um, and we also are involving, you know, bilingual by the way also. And we're trying to also involve individuals from particular communities that you know may be uh, impacted by the spread of misinformation. So um, it's a diverse group, and that's and to be honest with you, that's sort of the core of our mission, right? We want this to be more than just uh, a very specific initiative. We would love this to become kind of a movement, and you know, hence the the hashtag, you know, science up first. We want this to be a positive movement that people are excited about joining. So when it comes to misinformation around uh, this pandemic, you know, we cover uh, misinformation and disinformation on this show, and we've we've done so in relation to the pandemic a few times. And when it began, it was sort of the the folksy myths, like if you can hold your breath for this long, you don't have COVID, or you can use hot water maybe uh, to kill it. And we're long past that. How have you seen uh, the myths around this virus and, and the vaccines and everything else uh, evolve as uh, we're almost a year into this? Yeah, that's an excellent point. And we actually have a, a couple projects on a research grant looking at misinformation funded by the CIHR. Um, and so we are watching this really closely. And I think you make a really interesting point about how how the misinformation has evolved. Um, you know, early days, we did have absurd claims around, you know, 5G technology, around it being a bioweapon. Uh, and unfortunately, those myths endure, which is an interesting story in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, as you pointed out, a lot of misinformation about, you know, ridiculous cures and folk folk cures, as, as you pointed out, uh, but also things like the idea that bleach can cure it, that cow urine can cure it, that uh, alcohol can cure it, and all those, by the way, have had measurable harm. It resulted in measurable harm. Um, but you know what? They, what I think is most interesting about how it's evolved is it's become much more politicized. You know, the the discourse has become a lot more polarized. I'm sure you mm-hmm. you've seen this. You know, there's been studies that have showed that early days, and so I'm talking, you know, March, April in Canada, we weren't that. Polarized. We were pretty unified, despite what was happening in the United States. Uh, unfortunately, that's I feel that's that's changed, right? We're we are seeing a much more polarized um, discussion. Um, it has become about ideology, and you can just see that in in the way in which um, different provinces are responding to the misinformation. Uh, um, and you know, for example, in my own province of Alberta, we have you know twenty percent of the population, a hard twenty percent, saying they won't get the vaccine. And I think that's a direct result of this myth mix uh, of of ideology. 
and misinformation. So I think that that has become, you know, much a much bigger part of of the misinformation, and you're seeing particular groups push out the misinformation. Um, and of course, now that we're in, you know, we are starting to push uh, the vaccines, or you know, we want to roll out the vaccines. Um, we are starting to see a lot more targeted misinformation, and we're also seeing the misinformation have you know a tangible impact. There have been a, a whole cluster of studies, and you know we're we're doing research in this space too, so we're watching these studies very closely that have shown that misinformation is having an impact on things like intention to wear masks, on on things like physical distancing, and the willingness to you know accept broader uh, government recommendations. So we we know this really matters, and it's a topic that needs to be tackled. How much of this stuff do you think, I, I'm assuming we don't have any numbers on this yet, but how much of this stuff do you think is is malicious in the kind of intending to spread falsehoods way? And how much of it is just, you know, I think of uh, myself and probably plenty other journalists that I know who have all of a sudden um, had to become close to experts in a single very complicated subject over the past year. And there are a million sources of information and the science is changing all the time. And it can be just really difficult to make sure you're not saying something from two weeks ago and, and the science has changed on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm fascinated by that question. Actually, it's a great one. Um, and I, and I think, I'm sure you'll agree with me. I think it's on a continuum, right? You know, you have mm -hmm. uh, at one end, uh, individuals that have are trying to sell stuff. And we've been following that, you know, trying to sell bogus immune boosting products. And, and, and I think they probably know, at least a, a portion of them that it's bogus. Y you have individuals that are trying to push a particular ideological agenda, right? And they're using the pandemic in order to do that. Um, you know, that's infuriating also. Uh, and then you have, you know, I think misinformation that it has flowed from you know, really bad science policy. You know, the hydroxychloroquine examples, you know, is a good example of that, where you have this mix of science hype and, and uh, celebrities and prominent individuals pushing it, creating the spread of misinformation in the context of one pharmaceutical. So I think it, I actually think it really falls on, on a continuum. And that's really interesting because it really highlights how complex the misinformation phenomenon is. So, you know, sometimes I, I get the impression from individuals, you know, I, I interact with it. You know, if we could just get to the people who are spreading this, well, it's, it's much more complicated than that. And, and let me give you one more example, if, if I could. There's an interesting study, and this was from early days in the pandemic, but I think the study is still very interesting. It was done at Oxford, and what they did is they looked at hundreds of bits of misinformation and they kind of, it's one of those studies, I wish I did this study because you know, I think it's, mm -hmm. it's exactly what needed to be done. You know, they, they looked at sort of the history of each bit of misinformation and kind of traced it back to its source. And they found that about 20% of, of, of those bits of misinformation had at, as the source a prominent individual. So, you know, a celebrity, a sports star, a politician, um, which is a pretty big hunk to begin with. But then they also looked at who what's happening when it when it's on social media and they found that about 69 percent of what is spread on social media about this this misinformation is us sharing the stuff from the prominent individuals and i think that's really important because it shows number one that that this is a top down bottom up phenomenon uh that that what's we have to be careful about us spreading it right so this goes to your point about 
people are finding it difficult just to tease out what's not what's real and what's not real, right? And so it is the other thing that we need to do is we need to develop strategies that will stop people from spreading misinformation um, online because that probably is sim simply said one of the biggest the biggest drivers of this entire phenomenon. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. So how does your group try to stop that? Uh, where do you step in in that chain uh, from the top down and, and try to break that cycle? Well, we, we recognize that, that fighting misinformation is going to require the utilization of a range of tools, right? It's not going to be one, one initiative. Um, we're gonna, it's going to require regulation. It's going to require social media platforms to take action. Um, uh, it's going to require you know, better critical thinking skills by, by everyone. Uh, but we also know, and there, again, there's evidence to back this up, that, that debunking work. You know, I know some people don't like that that term debunking, but there is a growing body of evidence. I mean, and it, it may not feel like this is true, but there is a growing body of evidence that show that shows that if you can counter misinformation constructively, you know, using the right kind of messaging, you can make a difference. So, you know, debunking works. So, what we want to do is we want to create content and we want to share content that already exists that does it well, and we want to just flood social media so that is out there because that the people that are pu pushing this information are using the same strategies right they're using creative strategies to get across the misinformation we want to use the same strategy to get across the good information so in other words flood the space with credible sources that are shareable that rely on good science uh, that it, that's also you know has the right tone that's nice that's empathetic and that responds to the questions that people have how much of that will be uh, you and the whole team on the front lines, so to speak? You know, if I'm out here um, spreading disinformation about vaccine reactions, you know, will I get you or someone else uh, replying to me or sliding into my DMs and saying, actually, like, mm, that's not correct. Here is the science. Like, how hands-on are you going to be? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. We had a lot of discussion about that. <laughs> so the strategy we're going to use uh, and that we are using is we're not going to respond directly to the de deniers, right? And uh, there's interesting research that shows that, you know, it's very difficult to change the minds of the hardcore deniers. No surprise to you guys, right? No, it's really hard to change those people's minds. Uh, and, and in fact, rule number one from the World Health Organization for talking with the anti-vax community is don't waste your energy talking to the hardcore deniers. So we don't want to do that. And the other thing is it can all also you know, imply a sort of legitimacy to that, those perspectives. But what we can do is we can use that conversation as an opportunity to talk to the general public. So what we're going to do is not sort of counter the you know, sort of attack or try to have an argument online with uh, a denier. On the contrary, what we want to do is use that uh, use that cultural moment as an opportunity to talk to the general public. So we also wanted to make this super easy for people to participate and become part of the team. All they have to do 
is go to one of um, the platforms, so Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram, and start following us and start sharing uh, the good content because that's how misinforma misinformation spreads. Let's make this how good information spreads. How will you put together that content and package it uh, for it to be shareable? What do you see out there right now in terms of the stuff that's being done to counter this? And what is it missing that you're hoping to provide? So this is one of our, I think, our, our immediate challenges. And in fact, we're going to have another meeting this weekend to talk about it, to strategize on exactly how we how we select our our, our content. So the, the initial vision, and I think this is still the vision, is that you know, we have this group of respected and independent experts that sort of vets the content. And early days, what we're doing is we're going to these um, those bodies that are aggregating the science in a responsible manner. And it's yes, it is the obvious entities, the World Health Organization, Public Health Authority of Canada, the CDC. And we're also going to, you know, respected researchers that are producing great content. And, you know, so we've been posting some wonderful content from, you know, TikTok pe uh, clip. People are putting clips on TikTok. Uh, we're posting, you know, little videos by respected uh, researchers. Uh, the content that is in, that is shareable and that you can engage with, right? And, and a lot of people have suggested that's what's been missing with the good stuff, right? It's always been very science-oriented. But we think there's good content out there that's digestible uh, and easily shareable. So that's what that's what we're, we're focusing on right now. And we also want to produce our own content. And, and the content that we're going to produce is going to be kind of reflecting on your past question, responding to particular emerging bits of misinformation. So, I'll, you know, off the top of my head, two good examples are that um, the vaccine can change your DNA, right? There's no evidence to support that. It's not even scientifically plausible, mm -hmm. but we know that, that that myth is circulating. Another really good example is the idea, I'm sure you guys have heard this, that, um, that vaccines have an impact on fertility, right? So again, not scientifically plausible. There have been statements from professional organizations um, about how that's not true. So another kind of thing that we can, you know, create content to to refute in a way that hopefully uh, works for for everyone. I want to ask you now about uh, the bigger picture of all this, and I think you kind of touched on it uh, at the top when talking about you know your own government. Um, I would love to think that it's not a problem, but I think there has clearly been. Uh, some political interpretation of uh, data on both sides. And, you know, to give you an easy example that you may have heard of uh, even out in Alberta, um, a, do a doctor in Ontario, a prominent epidemiologist named Dr. David Fisman, who has been on our show several times um, providing, you know, clear scientific answers on this, has uh, now, you know, been accused of conflict of interest and there's a big political fight. And, and this isn't the first time we've kind of seen... Uh, medical health professionals, I guess, who who are presenting facts, but in a way that, that appears to be critical of uh, their governments, you know, had uh, aspersions cast on them. And, and maybe this is something that's too big for, for a straightforward science organization uh, to tackle. But it really, to me, when we talk about uh, misinformation around the pandemic, the, the idea that some of this stuff is politically motivated uh, has to be addressed. It is a really frustrating uh, dimension to the misinformation battle because one of the things that that those with sort of an ideological agenda will do is utilize whatever ever narrative they can 
to create doubt. And this is what we're seeing definitely in the context of the vaccine discussions, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I really believe, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic, that despite the sort of the grim numbers about vaccination acceptance around the world, you know, they're getting better, they're getting better, that most people are not hardcore deniers. You know, even those people that are hesitant, you know, that I talked about that number in Alberta being 20%, I really don't think those are hardcore deniers. I still think the hardcore deniers are relatively small. Most people are just trying to do the right thing. You know, they're just trying to get, do what's best for them and their family and their community, and they're looking at the information. And unfortunately, these kinds of ideologically driven, uh, politically motivated um, narratives can just introduce doubt, right? So. We've seen those kind of strategies work in other domains and and it can be very unfortunately it can be very effective here so our messaging while i don't think right now we're going to tackle um the broader sort of political dimensions to this and in fact i think it's hard to do that without uh, without our entity looking like it has its some kind of political agenda because we yeah. don't our agenda is good evidence-based uh information we can still you know try to get the good information out there to avoid having those people who are hesitant be influenced by that kind of rhetoric. Um, because I do think, you know, we talk, you talk about the movable middle, right? That's the important audience, right? The audience that is being influenced by the hardcore deniers just because they're trying to do, they're trying to do the right thing. So what is the actual uh, next steps for you guys? And, and how long does it take before you're up and running at full capacity? We're talking to you right now. Uh, I guess you're, probably less than a week uh, since your announcement. Um, how soon, I think time is of the essence here, no? Yeah, time is of, of the essence. And um, and it is one of the, to be honest, it's one of those projects where we're still, you know, I hate this cliche, I hate cliches, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's the, the cliche of building the plane while you're flying kind of thing, right? You know, we're putting wheels on yes. as you're going down a runway. <laughs> Um, but it, 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 it could be it partly because of the urgency, as you just as you just noted, right? That's one of the reasons that we're we're in this situation. But but let's talk about the good news. You know, the good news is the launch went really well because um, the whole goal is to get eyes on this content, right? And in the first couple of days, I think it was first two days or first two and a half days, we had I think it was 21 million impressions on our social media platforms. You know, we had wow. uh, a whole bunch, you know, thousands of new users who are like actually spreading our message. So all those, that's exactly what we want to have happen. So I think, I think the next steps is, is to keep the content going, right? To, to make sure that that content is out there. And I think the phase, phase two, as we call it, and phase two, I'm talking, you know, near future, we're not talking, you know, down months away. Uh, phase two is really to start to get that more targeted content. You know, as I said earlier, focusing on, you know, responding to particular needs. And the other thing that I think is going to be a real challenge, because this is a social media, we can't do everything, right? This is a social media initiative, but we still want to respond to those communities that are, you know, indigenous communities, for example, that are, are there's trust issues, understandable trust issues. These communities have particular needs. We need we need to co-create with those communities, right? Co, uh, we have to make sure appropriate collaborations, and we're and we're trying to take steps to do to do that. Well, I'm glad to see uh, this initiative out here and uh, passing on legitimate information. It's much needed. So, thank you, and thanks for telling us about it today. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Timothy Caulfield, Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta, and of course, founding member of Science Up First. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You will find all sorts of misinformation debunking. That's what we've been doing for, it feels like a really long time now. 
You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Talk to us via email, TheBigStoryPodcast at rci.rogers.com. And anywhere you get your podcasts, we are always there, Monday to Friday. Recommend it to your friends. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.